All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. Today is September 24th, 2019, but I'm not in New York City, as usual for my show. I'm in Portugal on what is partly a vacation and partly family business. In fact, this program was pre-recorded on September 18th, 2019. Because of the difficulty of doing the show live from Portugal, I have chosen to pull together clips from two of the most important recent related discussions I had with Alistair McLeod and David Stockman. Before I say more about this week's show, let me thank each of you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows on the Voice America Business Channel. Also, I would like to encourage you to continue sending along your comments Send them to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions for Taylor, the number four, questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. I do want to remind you that I am the editor of J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks uh, and that you can subscribe to my letter by going to miningstocks.com or you can call my office in New York during normal work hours at 718-457-1426. That's miningstocks.com or 718-457-1426. Well, this is a most fascinating time to invest in junior gold and silver exploration stocks because we are most assuredly in a new gold bull market. The sponsors that I have for this show are good examples of why I am so excited to be writing this letter, which focuses on this mining sector and the exploration sector in particular, Here is a brief comment about our four current subscribers that has me so excited. Great Bear Resources is on to a major high-grade gold discovery in the Red Lake District of Ontario. Now, there is reason to believe that Great Bear may be on to a discovery more profound, in fact, than the Red Lake discovery that was the gold discovery that actually put Gold Corp on the map, made it into a substantial company. Novo Resources, headed up by Dr. Quentin Henning, has discovered what may be the greatest gold discovery since the Witwatersrand discovery of South Africa well over 120 years ago. I just interviewed Dr. Henning this last week, and he explained how Novo is applying the latest technology to solve the challenges of this company's very unique gold discovery in Western Australia. Klondike Gold has seemingly discovered the motherload source for the great placer gold rush in the great Klondike gold fields in the Yukon. The scale of that project is massive, so Klondike also has a real shot at outlining major multi-million ounce gold discovery that may become the envy of major gold producers. 
Last but not least among our current sponsors is Radisson Mining, which is expanding a very high-grade gold deposit in Quebec. The economics of this project look very compelling, and as the scale of that deposit expands, the economics will become even better. So again, I want to thank our sponsors, Great Bear, Noble Resources, Klondike Gold, and Radisson Mining for making this show economically viable. Most fundamental of all, and what breathes life into the junior mining sector, is a bull market in the precious metals. Now, as this 72-year-old man uh, goes on through my life, I believe this bull market will be my last cycle before I retire, to slow, or at least slow down to a slower pace, depending on the good Lord's intention for me. While I'm at it, let me put in a plug for my partner, Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? Chen has done exceptionally well as an investor, having turned $5,400 into over $2.5 million in a 10-year period. He is now sharing his hard work and expertise with his paid subscribers in his letter titled, What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? You can subscribe to Chen's letter by going to chenpix.com. That's C-H-E-N-Pix.com. And as always, I am strongly suggesting that you consider subscribing to Michael Oliver's Momentum and Structural Analysis newsletter. Go to olivermsa.com, olivermsa.com, not only to subscribe to that letter, but also to learn about his analytical methodology and also some comments about which market he thinks is the most vulnerable and the one you should be most watching closely. And now let me go on to this week's show. I've titled the show, The Dynamics of an Impending Dollar Demise. As I noted a moment ago, this show was pre-recorded with excerpts from two of my most recent important guests, namely Alistair McLeod and David Stockman. There is much talk about the dollar's demise, especially among gold bugs like me. But a very legitimate question is, what could cause a dollar to fall from grace? After all, there are no other currencies out there with the liquidity that the dollar has. It is normal for humans to project the future based on our most recent experience, and it is extremely hard for us to think that something drastically different will shape our future. But with regard to the U.S. dollar, it has remained the world's reserve currency now as long, about as long as the Portuguese and Dutch currencies remained on the world stage. It is true that the Spanish, French, and English currencies served as the world's reserve currency slightly longer than the U.S., Portuguese, and Dutch currencies, but not all that much longer. Moreover, events are changing more rapidly now than under prior time frames, and most importantly, for the first time in history, the entire world is on fiat money or debt-based money. And that has allowed another event to take place that is unthinkably absurd and definitely counter to the natural laws of economics. I'm talking, of course, about negative interest rates. It now seems plausible that given the global move to print money wherever, in whatever amounts it takes to keep the world's economy from crashing, negative rates, which are common in Europe and Japan, are destined to invade the U.S. as well. Alistair pointed out on my August 27th show that the dollar system will be in huge trouble if the world's reserve currency heads into negative rates of interest because commodities are priced in U.S. dollars. All commodities around the world are priced in U.S. dollars. Today I'm replaying his comments on this topic in which he explains why he believes if the dollar experiences negative rates, it is likely to be the undoing of its reserve currency status. With a slightly different focus, David Stockman agrees with Alistair, and in fact, he said that if the U.S. rates are headed negative, as he believes they are, 
it will be all over but the shouting for the dollar. As this show was recorded on Wednesday morning, September 18th, it is plausible, very possible in fact, that the markets will change a great deal before this show airs. But as this message was being recorded, I'm reading about some severe liquidity issues arising in the global markets that suggest the Fed will likely need to start printing more money more aggressively than they wish to. If that's true, it fits very well with the views of both of my guests today that our existing financial system is swirling down a vortex of destruction that has been initiated by Keynesian economics. While owning gold is no guarantee that your life will be free of harm, it is much better to own it than not to because it will retain its purchasing power long after the dollar becomes worthless. Then after you have some real money set aside in the form of gold or silver, owning some higher risk, higher return gold miners can help increase wealth and do so dramatically, as seems to be the case with Great Bear and some of the other picks in J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. We do have to go to commercial break now, but don't go away because Alistair McLeod will explain why the dollar, if it has any negative interest rates, will most likely be on the road to destruction. Don't go away. I'll be right back with Alistair McLeod. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Pilbara region of Western Australia. Novo has recently partnered with Sumitomo Corporation of Japan to evaluate, advance, and develop the company's Australian gold projects. With over $40 million in cash and $60 million committed from Sumitomo, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Alistair, you know, when I, you know, anybody that takes a look at a long-term Treasury rate chart, U.S. Treasury rates, will see that since about 1980 or so, every cycle, every credit cycle, saw lower highs and lower lows. I would like you to talk about why that has happened. Can you talk about the dynamics as to why we're seeing chronically lower rates since about 1980? Uh, yes, indeed. I think it's a function of the increase of the quantity of money 
without much of an increase in actual production. Mm -hmm. So what we have, in effect, is not so much the prices being eroded, but more and more money in the system. And, of course, you see that people, uh, you know, they look at things like velocity of circulation, which actually is a completely meaningless thing. But what that does tell you is there's just more money in the economy. And, um, uh, you know, as a result, uh, it doesn't take um, quite such a high rate of interest to suddenly upset the thing because the other side of that money, of course, is the debt that has been created. And um, it's, it's the debt that puts the limit, if you like, on how far interest rates can rise before you trigger the crisis in the cycle. Uh, and that is why we've had declining peaks of interest mm -hmm. rates uh, ever since the 1980s. Mm -hmm. And um, we've now got to the point where um, if we just raise interest rates to, say, two and a half, three percent, I'm talking dollars here, yeah. then the whole system begins to fall over because of the debt. I mean, it's just so much debt around now. It's all been created. It hasn't been washed out. And, of course, we cannot afford to have it washed out for the simple reason that no central banker is appointed to bring about conditions that will bankrupt the economy, bankrupt the banks, and make government funding more, exp uh, more expensive. So mm -hmm. they've got themselves, if you like, into uh, this sort of this final trap, which actually, um, you know, if, if, you, if you read von Mises's earlier works, you know, The Theory of Money and Credit, um, you, would have, you would have been able to deduce that this is the sort of thing that we, we were going to end up with. But what it means, Jay, is that, um, you know, you've got a problem that when it comes to reducing interest rates in order to save the world the next time, um, your computer model probably says that you need to reduce it by an average of about 5% going back, seeing what happened last time, the time before, and so uh -huh. on and so forth. So yeah. how, do you, how do you reduce it from five to five, by 5% from two and a half? Well, <laughs> the answer is you can't. <laughs> you know, you have to go negative. That's what the model tells you. And, uh, I mean, fortunately, in a sense, I suppose, um, you know, central bankers are, are naturally cautious about having such extreme policies to try and rescue the economy. But the problem they have is they're going to get themselves into a bind, I believe, and I'll say a little bit more about that in a second. But they risk getting themselves into a bind uh, in, a sense, in a sense where um, they think, well, the only option is to go negative. And uh, then that has very, very serious consequences because it puts the whole of the commodity complex into backwardation. Now, I should draw a distinction between the dollar and um, the other major currencies, I mean, particularly the euro and the yen. Um, the difference with the dollar is that we price all our international trade, we price our markets in dollars not in euros or yen, mm -hmm. so that uh, the ECB and the Bank of Japan can reduce their interest rates into negative territory, putting aside whether this is wise or not, uh, mm -hmm. that's a different right. issue. But the point is they can do it without um, uh, bankrupt bankrupting uh, uh, the global financial system. But if America does it, just think on this, everything goes into backwardation. And what that means is there is a huge incentive for us all to buy commodities, to buy, um, if you like, the things that we usually use um, rather than whole dollars. So suddenly we have got the reason to basically get rid of 
all cash, all cash dollars, all dollar deposits. And then what does that do? It basically it collapses the purchasing power of, of, of the dollar. Now, I don't know whether central bankers actually realize that uh, this is the dynamic that they're now faced with. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we don't even have to go negative to to get to that situation. Um, if you remember back to the wake of the Lehman crisis, yes. um, interest rates were reduced to zero as part of the monetary package to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Now, having, having reduced those interest rates down to zero, um, when it became clear that the whole system wasn't going to fall over, the gold price then rallied strongly from about $740 uh, dollars up to, I think it was 1920 in right. September um, mm-hmm. 2011. Right. Now, um, that was as far as it got. So it went up, it more than doubled. Um, we got to the stage where, um, uh, you know, it sort of then, then paused. Um, and then it became clear that there was going to be, at some stage in the future, economic recovery. Now, what that meant was that at some stage in the future, dollar interest rates would start rising. Mm-hmm. Now, from the point of view of um, the, the bullion banks in the system, they then moved from the situation where um, they had to close down their dollar obligations against their gold obligations. So they, had to, they had to begin to cover those, which mm-hmm. is one of the reasons that the gold price was driven so firmly upwards. And then when they could see that interest rates on the horizon were likely to rise, uh-huh. at that stage, the pressure came off gold. I see. We, are, we are now in exactly the same situation. And I'm, I'm at the moment drafting an article which will go out on Thursday on precisely this point. Because um, the, the, the thing that people just don't seem to realize is that gold has an interest rate. The best way to describe it is time preference. Yes. Um, you know, uh, you have some gold. If I want to borrow your gold, you are going to lose possession of that until I return it to you. Uh, basically, you value the possession of the gold uh, more than you value non-possession. Mm-hmm. So um, if I if you're going to part with that gold, there is a rate which I would have to pay you in order to persuade you with you persuade you to part with that gold for sure. a period of time which we would agree with us. Uh, I think that's pretty uncontentious. But what that does mean is that gold has an interest rate because that time preference is represented by an interest rate. Now, if you also uh, extend that to the dollar, the dollar has uh, a time preference element. Um, mm-hmm. And an interest rate. Now, we don't see that in the sense because the central banks have taken over control of the pricing mm-hmm. of interest on the dollar. So we're not allowed to have um, a, a, a time preference on the dollar, except to the extent that the central bank allows us to have one. Mm-hmm. Now, if you compare the two, the time preference rate on gold and the time preference rate on the dollar, if you reduce the time preference rate on the dollar, let us say, call it an interest, an interest rate below a certain level, then obviously, um, you know, this is going to favor uh, holding gold sure. rather than rather than holding the, do- the, the dollar. We put, put aside all considerations about, you know, um, the, the you know, unsound money and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. Just 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 think in terms of time preference. Sure. So. Uh, we now have a situation where, um, you know, it's, it, it makes more sense to hold gold 
than dollars. Now, the bullion banks who have geared up and are synthetically short of a lot of physical metal have a problem when the dollar rate falls below the gold rate. And that more or less is where we are at the moment. Um, if you look at the, and this is just a rough guide, the forward rate for gold uh, is around about 1.9% per annum. Uh, LIBOR is around about 1.9% per annum if you, for, for a year. So if you take the two together, what have you got? You have got zero uh, uh, for the time preference for gold. So um, already we're in a situation where the bullion banks are having to switch from uh, having um, a little bit of gold financing interest rate swaps and arbitrages and all the rest of it in dollars to a situation where they should be uh, closing out their gold um, obligations. Mm -hmm. And if interest rates in the dollar go any lower, they should be holding on to a small pot of dollars in order to buy a larger pot of gold yeah. and other commodities, which also have time preferences. Sure. So, so this is, I mean, it, 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 it's important to grasp this point because we've seen gold now move very rapidly from, uh, I mean, in the last few months, very rapidly from sort of 1350, 1360, which was seen as a rock solid barrier and tonight we're looking at 15 40 dollars and that's a, a fairly short period of time what is happening is that there's the fundamentals that are going on about time preference for gold relative to time preference for dollars really? now we have a now we have a problem how far is this going to go mm -hmm. let's look at the overall economy I think you and I, we've discussed this so often, can agree that we have come towards the end of the credit cycle, the expansionary yes. phase of the credit cycle, and we are likely to tip into, you know, that sort of periodic um, recession, which you were alluded to by um, bringing forward the interest rates, you know, the declining interest rate peak sure. uh, story. Um, so, so we've got that. On top of that, we have got um, the problem of uh, President Trump's tariffs against China. Mm -hmm. Now, this is exactly the situation we had in 1929 to 1932, which, um, first of all, uh, knocked Wall Street down top to bottom 35% in October 1929. It recovered somewhat until Smoot-Hawley was actually signed into law by President Hoover, which was, uh, around, I think, around about um, uh, April, May 1930. And, um, you know, then, of course, you had this slump uh, in the 30s and all the rest mm -hmm. of it. Now, what nobody has actually researched is the synergistic effect of the trade tariffs on top of a turning credit cycle. Mm, now, well. if you if it conceptually, if you put those two, two things together, you can come up with an explanation as to why the depression, the, well, firstly, the fall in Wall Street, but also the depression in the 1930s was so, so deep. Mm -hmm. Now, if I'm right in drawing that empirical evidence towards us, then what we face is not just a sort of downturn in the global economy which can be corrected by, um, you know, a, a temporary expansion of the quantity of money, you know, a little bit of QE and maybe not knocking a half or, a, you know, a, a point off interest rates. Right. It's a lot more serious than that. Now, if it is more serious than that, 
then our negative interest rate play is going to become a real possibility, uh, first in uh, the Eurozone and also in uh, uh, Japan and various other central banks like the Swiss, the Danish and the Swedish who are already there in a small way. They're going to go deeply negative. And um, the pressure on um, uh, the Fed to not only go down to zero, but maybe go that little bit further is going to become intolerable. Yeah. Now, then, then we have this problem. If you're a bullion bank and you're sitting there, um, you know you can see that interest rates are already going against your operations, um, whereby you gear up on a small amount of gold. That is already being killed in the current situation. Mm-hmm. So, what's the outlook? Well, the outlook is it's going to get considerably worse. It's not like 2012, where suddenly you could begin to say, do you know, the Cyprus crisis and all the rest of it, we've, we've gone through that and actually we have survived. The, econ- the global economy is going to survive. Dollar interest rates at some stage in the future are going to go up. We can hang on. We can bash mm-hmm. the gold price. We can get back into business because, you know, the problem is now dealt with. Mm-hmm. The problem this time is not dealt with. The problem is going to get worse and worse and worse. So what do the bullion banks do? They have to close down every outstanding gold liability. Otherwise, they are likely to go bust. Wow. And that is why the gold price is so strong. It's got nothing to do with, uh, at this stage, nothing to do with uh, the, the uh, you know, um, you know, we've got, a, you know, the charts are looking good or, uh, yeah. you know, the, there's so many <laughs> thousands of dollars, you know, in, in, you know, per ounce of gold yeah. and all, it, forget all that. So it's, it's, the, the, it's banks that have the trouble. So the bullion banks are covering their shorts. They're starting to cover their shorts. Is that what you're they're saying? Beginning, yes, they're beginning to do it. I think you'll find the big boys are beginning to do it. Whether the smaller ones have actually caught on to this, I mean, they must do to an extent, simply because, well, for a start, they see the price run. Yes, um, this, is something, this is something which is new. And they will be looking. I mean, because, you know, if you've got to, if you've got to pay um, uh, an, an amount to borrow gold, um, you're, you know, why are you doing it? You're doing it to get into an arbitrage, into something else. Right. And, you know, if your arbitrage is, 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 is a dead loss, then <laughs> all you've got is a gold liability. And that's, yeah. re- that's the thing that is driving that's the price. Very interesting. Well, uh, Alistair, I'd like to explore just a little bit more um, the backwardation comment that you made. Uh, why com- commodities will go into backwardation? Because the currency becomes worth less. And, and also... Why, uh, if you can help me understand again the difference between the U.S. owning the world's reserve currency and the euro, for example, why uh, why we can't do it? We can't go negative, whereas they can. Well, it's it's it's, it's not quite as you, it's not quite as you say. Uh, Basically, the reason that uh, there will be a backwardation across the whole commodity complex is mm-hmm. because you have negative interest rates. Uh-huh. Remember, remember that every item there is, every good has an implied time preference sure yeah so so you know it's not just gold gold in its monetary sense actually acts as a proxy for all the other commodities and incidentally anything that you or i might buy if we were using gold as money so um the, the the problem then is that if you've got negative interest rates instead of um you know uh the price of copper being let's say What happens is the price today is 2,200. The price, um, uh, let's say, for a month's delivery (laughs) is 
is is 2,100. So it's got a backwardation. But the backwardation isn't because people are buying copper. The backwardation is forced on the market by the monetary policy of the Fed. I see. I see. Now, getting back to your question as to why it's a dollar and, and nothing else, it's really quite simple. All commodities internationally are priced in Price dollars. Priced in dollars. Okay. Yeah. Very Not good. euros. So the euros can do it. Forget you know, and it's it. You know, they will create their own problems, but they won't necessarily <laughs> upset the apple cart in the way the dollar would certainly do. So we do have to go to commercial break now, but don't go away because David Stockman will be with me to talk more about why negative rates will doom the existing currency system, and he'll explain why that is true and what that will mean for the dollar. So don't go away. We'll be right back with David Stockman. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. A gold rush has begun. Recently, three of the largest gold mining companies announced strategic acquisitions in the Yukon territories. Ahead of them was a group who had already consolidated the key claims covering the historic Klondike Gold Rush into one company, aptly named Klondike Gold Corps. Led by a team of accomplished geoscientists, the company is steadily advancing exploration to reveal the rich source of all that gold. The hunt for the next major discovery is well underway, and Klondike Gold's shareholders are strategically positioned. Stay ahead of the majors and follow KlondikeGoldCorp.com. Great Bear Resources, trading under GBR on the TSX and GTBDF on the OTCQB, is a gold exploration company focused on their wholly owned Dixie project in the prolific Red Lake Mining District of Canada. Having recently made four major gold discoveries, GBR is now fully funded to drill 90,000 meters through to the year 2020 as part of a very active exploration program. Rob McEwen of McEwen Mining, a Red Lake veteran, is a significant shareholder following a recent $5.7 million investment. To stay up to date, visit greatbearresources.ca. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. David Stockman was my guest on September 3rd. The title of my September 3rd show was, Can the Empire Survive a Failing Economy? I started out asking David whether he thought the U.S. economy would begin a recession before the end of 2019. He didn't exactly answer that question, but rather looked to November 2020, when the next presidential election takes place. He suggested that by that date, a recession is highly likely, in which case a radical anti-capitalist president like Elizabeth Warren is likely to emerge. David explained how layer upon layer of debt over credit cycle after credit cycle 
is likely to result in a massive stock market decline followed by a deep economic recession which will all but ensure Trump's defeat in 2020. And he explained how that is likely to lead to an even deeper economic demise in the years to come. Not a happy picture, to be sure, but you owe it to yourself to listen to David's well-thought-out reasons to be prepared for an unpleasant future for the American empire. Here's what David had to say. Well, it's not the greatest economy ever. It's the greatest fantasy ever. But it long predates uh, Donald Trump. This has been going on for years, if not decades. We're near the very end of the longest uh, business expansion in history, as tepid as it has been. But we're at month 121. The pure calendar odds are against, you know, uh, this expansion lasting Mm -hmm. much longer um, and that would be true even under normal circumstances because recessions obviously haven't been outlawed. But in the current circumstances, there are so many built-up distortions. There is so much built-up debt on the economy. Uh, you know, we thought we had a wake-up call in 2008 when the uh, prices came and Lehman uh, filed for bankruptcy, etc., and everybody said, you know, it was... Uh, the subprime and too much speculation in housing and a massive amount of mortgage debt and uh, all the rest of it. But we had $52 trillion of public and private debt on the U.S. economy at that point. We didn't learn a lesson at all because there's $72 trillion of public and private debt on the U.S. economy today or $20 trillion more. Hmm. Uh, the business sector had $10 trillion of debt uh, at the eve of the crisis uh, a decade ago. Now it's $15.5 trillion. The household sector was already buried in debt. It was what, at what I call peak debt in 2008 uh, at around $14.5 trillion. Now it's uh, nearly $16 trillion. Yeah. And, of course, we don't even have to talk about what's happened to the government accounts where uh, debt is more than uh, double the $22 trillion. But there's a bigger point. And that is we now have so much uh, structural deficit uh, built in, and Trump has only made it worse by adding to the deficit in a, you know, a, a discretionary way at the top of the business cycle. Uh, unheard of, he took it over a trillion dollars uh, in year 10 of an expansion when you're supposed to be shrinking or uh-huh. disappearing uh, the deficit. Uh-huh. So all of these factors, um, to say nothing of the massive speculation on Wall Street and you know, in the modern world, uh, recessions don't cause Wall Street to fall. Wall Street bubbles eventually collapse. They cause panic in the C-suites of corporate America. They begin to throw employees overboard, uh, engage in huge, announce uh, huge restructuring plans to somehow, uh, you know, turn around uh, the, the fall uh, decline of their stock prices. And that's uh, what triggers the recession. That's what happened in 2008, 2009, it really happened in 2001, 2002 as well. So we have this bubble uh, that's gotten you know, even more fantastic during Trump's uh, time in office. It's uh, any day it's going to collapse. And I think, uh, you know, the uh, so-called sub-zero debt uh, phenomena or crisis uh, may be the catalyst. But in any event, when Wall Street really begins to unwind, there's nothing down below. In other words, the market is trading is traded by what I call chart monkeys today, and you know, <laughs> looking at the 200-day and the 50-day and the 20-day, you know, all kinds of uh, other uh, ratios. 
but it, it is not grounded in the fundamentals of either the global economy or the domestic economy. So if we ever have a big break that's not expected and these chart points uh, are lost, uh, there will be massive selling. 80% of the volume, as we all know, is basically uh, indexed or passive or ETFs or uh, you know, uh, uh, algo-driven uh, uh, quant uh, mm -hmm. trading. Uh, so when the thing breaks, it will be uh, quite uh, dramatic. Uh, it will be quite, uh, you know, violent, and uh, the economy will go down with it. Well, that happened before November 2020. I think the odds are pretty high. Right. I, I think uh, we're uh, sort of in the final days of this fantasy, as I call it. And uh, then the danger, of course, is that if the stock market breaks and it triggers, as I'm sure it will, another uh, serious uh, dislocation recession on Main Street, it's absolutely certain that uh, Trump will be repudiated by everybody. He's made a huge mistake. He called it a big, fat, ugly bubble in the campaign during the 2016 campaign. He was right then. He, he, was no, he was in office less than a month, and he had embraced the thing. And all of a sudden, it was the Trump miracle. And uh, so the, the point is, uh, I have a phrase, you boast it, you own it. And yeah, he has yeah. boasted this economy like no uh, sane person ever would or prior uh, president or politician has. And when the whole thing breaks, when this whole fantasy, which he didn't create, he inherited, he made it worse. But when this whole fantasy breaks, it's going to be what I call the great Trumpian recession. And uh, he will be uh, in total disrepute, as bad as Nixon was in 1974, uh, summer of 74. I was a kid there when all this happened. And uh, whoever the Democrats put up, including Mickey Mouse, will probably win the election. Now, the danger, uh, if you're thinking about the market and your position in it or whether, uh, you know, there's still some upside left, uh, the danger is, uh, you know, I don't think Biden's going to survive the primaries. He's uh, quasi-senile quasi and he's making so many mistakes that uh, at some point his support, which is a mile wide and an inch deep, will uh, suddenly vanish. And, you know, Bernie's way too old. You'll have Elizabeth Warren as in the uh, poll position. <laughs> and if she becomes a Democratic candidate at, after a stock market bust and an economy that goes back into the soup, hang on to your hat because she'll win. <laughs> and it will be a populist demagoguery against the 0.01% like we've never seen before. And if every, if this fantasy breaks, that message, as wrong-headed and as dangerous as it is, uh, will likely prevail, and then we'll get really bad policies, you know, like a wealth tax or some major increases in mm -hmm. government spending. Look at all her uh, free stuff programs. I mean, Medicare for All and the Green New Deal and uh, canceling most of the student debt and all the other things she's going to do. Uh, we'll be in big, big trouble mm -hmm. beyond where we are already. Mm -hmm. And this would be my final point here, Jay. Mm -hmm. We're heading in the 2020s, and if people don't understand what I call the demographic calendar, yes, they're making a big mistake, and that is everybody. I was born in 1946, the leading edge of the baby boom, and it lasted till 1962, and there were roughly 80 million babies born, and they're all retiring in the 2020s. 
and just do the math. And then that means that the cost of Medicare and Social Security and Medicaid, the whole uh, what I call welfare state, uh, is going to explode at a very time that we've got the empire so you know, embedded everywhere around the world, and Trump has built the defense budget up, you know, in a crazy manner by another $100 billion, um, a year. Uh, we, we, there's no way out of that trap, and that's exactly what we're stumbling into. And this time, and I guess this is the takeoff point uh, for the next issue, the Fed or any other central banks can't rescue us because they're out of dry powder mm-hmm. and sub. Sub-zero debt is really what proves it. That's, you know, that's uh, the uh, skunk in the woodpile, the giant skunk. And uh, people need to understand that uh, it is symptomatic of the fact that the central banks have finally, you know, shot their wad. They've driven themselves into a corner that they can't get out of. Uh, and have totally destroyed in the process the bond market. There is no yield left in the world except for uh, dollar securities and even uh, the whole yield curve for the U.S. Treasuries. Last week traded for the first time under 2.0%, going all the way out to 30 years. Never happened before, and we do have 2% inflation. Which means, plus or minus, you know, it wobbles up and down a little bit, but honestly measured, it's easily 2%. It means the entire yield curve of the benchmark securities of the world, the U.S. Treasury market, are now is now negative after inflation or in real terms. Now, you can't run an economy where debt doesn't cost anything, including 30-year uh, debt. And that's exactly where we are. And when the uh, bond market finally does implode, you know, from all this central bank uh, uh, bond buying and yield crushing, uh, that uh, that's where we get to the end of the road. Yeah. So. Well, David, what what do you think the the odds are? Uh, I, I know in real terms the uh, interest rates are negative now, essentially. Um, you know, and and of course we pay taxes on this treasury income sure. that we, and so you factor that in. We're you know we're deeply negative already. So what do you think the chances are of nominal U.S. rates going negative, and, and what impact might that have? I, you know, Alistair McLeod last week talked about the uniqueness of the world's reserve currency going negative uh, rates and how uh, since everything has a time a preference value to it, you know, your ounce of gold, your dollar, or whatever, if they force the interest rates down below that neg- below that that preference, that time preference of the dollar, which they're doing obviously, and if it goes negative, Alistair's point is there's no reason to hold dollars anymore. You may as well just go out and buy stuff, um, you know, starting with the most liquid and, and portable gold and silver and that sort of thing. But uh, what first of all, what are, what are the chances do you think that the U.S. Uh, dollars uh, that we do go into into NERP that we have a negative interest rate policy here? And if if that happens, how do you see it playing out? Well, uh, that's a great question. And if it does happen, if the U.S. Treasury yield curve goes negative in nominal terms, I would say it's all over except the shouting. Because let's be very clear on how we get negative rates across the yield curve, not just on the you know, administered rate for the federal funds. It's not even a real market. Uh, nobody trades in the federal funds market except a few government-sponsored uh, uh, enterprise, the federal home banks and so forth. 
But, but when you get the entire curve negative, like it is in Europe entirely, the entire German yield curve is negative. Even uh, you know the ten-year bond is negative 0.7 last week, and the 30 uh, was under. But when the entire yield curve is negative, it means there's massive speculation underway. In other words, uh, speculators are front-running the market and what they think the central banks are going to be doing. And when the central banks start buying again, which they expect the ECB will announce shortly, buying bonds, they want to buy, the speculators have learned and gotten rich uh, doing this, uh, they want to buy what the central banks are going to be buying next week and next month. And so uh, you have all these uh, speculators piling on and driving up the price of these bonds and therefore the yield to lower, lower, and eventually negative levels. In other words, there, there is 17 trillion of negative yielding uh, government and some uh, investment grade debt in the world, but only a tiny piece of that was uh, issued with negative coupons. All uh -huh. the that has some kind of coupon, it might be a half a percent or one percent or even some of them are two percent, but they're yielding negative now because their prices have been driven way above par. Mm -hmm. The right. problem with that is, that's speculation. No one's ever going to be paid back a bond at 130% or 180% of par where many of them are trading today uh, in the global bond market. They're going to go back to 100. They're going to go back to par. And somebody is sitting there right now on a 30, 10, 30, 60% uh, loss thinking there's always a greater fool that will buy this bond. In other words, they're buying bonds for price appreciation when bonds are supposed to be safe, yield, modestly yielding instruments. They've turned the world upside down. This is what the central banks have done. That's yeah. why we have negative yields, and that's why it's a self-limiting phenomenon. It cannot go on much longer because in any speculative bubble, sooner or later, the last sucker buy, does the last trade, and then it's look out below because everyone wants to sell, and you know there's uh, there's no bid uh, underneath. Now, can I use this one example? I know you asked about the dollar, but the point is, if the entire uh, U.S. dollar bond market, which is 16 trillion, just for uh, you know the tradable government bonds, but if it went negative. Uh, the 10-year or the 5-year, it would mean that this speculation that has driven Europe, uh, you know, to these uh, absurd levels has hit the U.S. bond market. And it, was, it would be only a matter of counting the days or even hours before, uh, you know, that bubble breaks, the mother of all bond market bubbles, as I call it. And then we would have a crisis in the monetary system worldwide. The central banks would be in total disrepute. The only good thing for some people, including myself and I'm sure many listeners, is uh, dollars, uh, I mean, gold will uh, soar when finally the bond bubble breaks and the central banks uh, are totally repudiated. So let's just take one example of how crazy this is. But it's simply a microcosm of what's going on in the sub-zero bond market, the destruction of yield, as I call it, by the central banks and what the ultimate case would be if we finally approach that with, uh, US, with the U.S. Treasury market. And remember now, we're not that far away. If you go back and look at your charts, you will see that in uh, uh, last fall, September, October, 
the uh, U.S. Treasury was trading at 3.24%, the 10-year, <laughs> okay, 3.24%. Uh, it, it ended uh, Friday somewhere around 1.5. We've had a huge yield uh, uh, collapse since then, which means implicitly uh, the price of bonds has been going up. So take the Austrian 100-year. Now, why anybody would even buy a 100-year bond today, uh, you know, who knows uh, where uh, Europe will be or whether the state of Austria will exist 100 years from now. It barely emerged 100 years back uh, out of the Versailles Conference, you know, after the Austro-Hungarian Empire was dismantled. But as the case may be, that bond was issued in September 2017 with a 2% coupon. A year later, this past June, it was trading uh, at 160% of par. The yield was down to 1%. The smart banker said to the government of Austria, you know, they, they're eating this thing up. Why don't you reopen the issue and sell some more? They sold a couple uh, billion more, and the bond uh, yield kept falling. The price uh, in the last couple of days was 210% a par. Yeah. <laughs> this is crazy. Yeah. Okay? The thing is yielding less than 1%. It's a 100-year bond, and there's a built-in 60% loss to anybody holding that bond today, absolutely guaranteed, even if you last 100 years, because even uh, 100 years from now, the Austrian government contractually is not going to be pay back more than 100 cents on the dollar. Whoever paid 210 cents uh, is out of their mind, but they think there's another sucker around who's going to pay 220, and they can capture the capital gain. Now, Jay, this is really big from... June, when they reopened the issue at 160 to uh, last week at 210, someone on leverage, you know, they people, these traders buy this on repo, someone on leverage has made, you know, a couple hundred percent profit on a bond. This is crazy as hell. This is, uh, you know, the final uh, blow-off phase of this whole uh, bubble finance cycle. And that's why your your point about if the bond, if the U.S. Treasury market succumbs, uh, to sub-zero or close in the next uh, month or two, truly, it is all over except the shouting because it will mean the global bond market has been destroyed by the central banks. So just to summarize David Stockman's message, first, we have a massive debt problem that the central banks have no way of getting out of. They can only dis- delay the pain by printing ever-increasing amounts of money, which leads interest rates even lower. That has been the policy for at least a couple of decades, and what has resulted now is a massive speculation in the bond markets so that the price of bonds far exceed the intrinsic value or their face value. And so the bonds are actually now deeply negative in value as sovereign governments will never pay more than the 100% contractual value embedded in the bonds. Thus, we are in a massive speculative bond market blow-off, just as John Rubino suggested on my September 10th show, and that will likely lead to a bond market collapse and huge losses by speculators holding those bonds when the market music stops. With bond prices collapsing and yields shooting higher, the equity markets are likely to get slammed really hard. As equity markets collapse, if history is prologue, we can expect quantitative easing to begin more aggressively than ever. But if that's the case, and if central banks are able to suppress interest rates, 
we should then see the entire commodity market complex begin a major bull market. That would indeed fit very well with Alistair McLeod's call for a rise in prices across the entire commodities complex, especially if the U.S. enters negative interest rate territory. It also is in sync with Michael Oliver's work, which suggests that we will see the entire commodity complex start a major bull market, along with a fast and furious equity market collapse. Michael's work has called for a counter-rally in U.S. G-bonds, in the Treasury markets in general, when equities go into a tailspin. But he also sees a major collapse ultimately in U.S. Treasury markets, with rates rising very dramatically when confidence is lost in the Fed's ability to lift America out of recession. No one knows for sure how these markets will play out or how much longer our creator will allow the American empire to do its dastardly deeds. But in terms of our existence within our current four-dimensional time-space continuum, one thing seems sure, and that is owning gold, which has been the most trusted money for thousands of years, not because government declared that to be so, but because the properties given to gold by our creator have caused free markets to choose it as money and their most desired medium of exchange. Gold has lasting value as long as the universe lasts, and because we must do the best we can for the survival of our families and friends, any sound rational person who has studied history and the current massive mess created by the Fed and other central banks, not to trade some of our soon-to-be-worthless dollars for gold would indeed be a crime. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Next week, I'm hoping to get Alistair McLeod back with me. Chris Taylor, one of the most, uh, who is the CEO of one of the most exciting gold exploration companies, namely Great Bear Resources, will be with me as well. And I believe we'll also have Michael Oliver back with us to provide his latest readings on gold and other markets of importance. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 